Do you feel like you're the only young person who cares about your Catholic faith? Do you look around at mass and only see silver foxes? We're Jake and Kathy, a young adult married couple, and we're here to tell you, you're not alone. That's why it's time to get Truth Pops. You're going to get a podcast designed specifically for you, a young adult Catholic in a pop culture world. The countdown is on for Truth Pop. We'll connect Christ into culture. Hi, I'm David Stoker, and I want to welcome you to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community since 2009, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice from people all the time. Some are curious, some are still using, some are in recovery, and some people just care about somebody who's currently struggling with a hurt habit or hangup. If people in my community have those questions, I guarantee that people everywhere are looking for answers as well. We started this podcast to give you answers and support because not only is recovery real, it is amazing. Hope you enjoy the show. Let's talk about what we're going to be discussing today. Uh, today we're going to be talking about medication and not just medication, but medication and recovery and how they intersect. I've been asked by several people to lately to discuss this topic, so let's just jump right into it. Uh, I'm doing this topic today because I'm tired of having people that I am friends with come to me and complain about the way they're treated by their family, their friends, other people in recovery. It's really frustrating. Uh, to me, I don't care how you found recovery. I don't care what you're doing to stay in recovery. I care that you're in recovery. I think that's amazing. You know, uh, or as I like to say, I think that's amazeballs. You know, I think it's awesome that you found recovery and that you're able to stay there. And I think more people need to acknowledge that there are multiple pathways to recovery and not everybody's recovery has to look the same. It's funny. I know so many people who are working a humble program, but they think their way is the only way and anybody that's different from them is doing it wrong. I personally have some major issues with that. So, um... I don't know. I think we'll start off by talking about uh, a study that was done. Uh, there's a guy out of St. Louis who was a professor at Wash U. His name is Ned Presnell. And if you ever get a chance to listen to the guy speak, he is brilliant. And I went to a, uh, a presentation that he did looking uh, talking to people who were getting ready to open up a recovery residence. And it was on uh, recovery and medication. And what he talked about was there is a, a study done that was by the Look Ahead Research Group. And what they did is they looked at lifestyle interventions on weight and cardiovascular risk factors in individuals with type 2 diabetes. So what that means basically is they had people that had just found out that they had type 2 diabetes. And we'll start with a segue right now. I think type 2 diabetes is one of the best things they could have possibly used um, as a comparison to addiction. If you look at diabetes, it is, uh, it's heritable, which means it, it can be passed from uh, parents to their children. It's a genetic vulnerability that's activated by environment. So what that means is it's gen- genetic and environmental, just like substance use disorders. 
Uh, it's progressive, which means the longer you have it, the worse it gets. It's often just like substance use disorders. Uh, diabetes is often managed with medication and lifestyle change, just like somebody with a substance use disorder. And uh, full and partial remission is often met with flare-ups, meaning people sometimes return back to old uh, habits. And that's exactly what we see with addiction. Um, so, therefore, the need for treatment and, uh, well, let's just say that sustained, uncomplicated remission, meaning long-term recovery without flare-ups, is the exception, not the rule. In other words, more people are going to continue needing help after that first time. So, because there's so many ways that it's similar, I really liked uh, the fact that he used the, the study with people who were type 2 diabetic um, as a comparison for people with addiction. You know, it's another one where type 1 diabetes, juvenile diabetes, a lot of, a lot of times those, uh, those aren't influenced. But with type 2 diabetes, seven, over 75% of the people that have it, it's because of sedentary lifestyles and poor eating habits. So it's because of choices. Same thing with substance use disorder. A lot of times it starts with the choice. But it evolves over time into a disease, just like diabetes does. So what they did with this study is they had a whole bunch of people, and they said, listen, we're going to give you an option. Uh, you can either take the medication. I mean, you can either uh, go without anything, or we're going to offer you what they called an intense lifestyle intervention, meaning you could see a a coach and go to support meetings over time. And what they found was that 3% of the people in the study, once they found out they had type 2 diabetes, they were just able to stop. They didn't need anything else in their life. They, they, somebody finally made them aware that they had this problem and they said, you know what, I'm done. And because of that, they were able to reverse um, the diagnosis that they had. A lot like somebody with a substance use disorder can make lifestyle changes and add supports and a lot of other things, and uh, no longer, you know, and, and no longer have a substance use disorder. Not that it goes away, but it's not active, right? I'm not trying to say that just because somebody that has type two diabetes starts exercising and changes their eating lifestyle and that it goes away doesn't mean that it can't come back, right? Because as we said. Uh, sustained remission without flare-ups is an exception to the rule, not the norm. In other words, most people are going to have issues after they uh, attain re remission. The exact same thing that we're going to see with, uh, with substance use disorders. So 3% of the people in this study were able to stop using, uh, were able to change their lifestyle. Uh, seven percent of the people in the study were able to go to support meetings and see a lifestyle coach and see a life coach and were able to reverse at the four-year mark um, their diagnosis. So imagine you were to take the seven percent of the people who the support meetings worked for in this study, sit them down and say, hey, you know what? If you find out that you have type 2 diabetes and you, you, you want to reverse that, do you need medication to manage it, or can you just go to support meetings? What do you think the 7% of the people who support meetings worked for would tell you? 
They're going to say, oh, no, you don't need medication. Why would you have to take medication? All anybody has to do is what we did, right? Um, It works if you work it because obviously everything works if you work it. But, you know, I mean, and that's the same thing with somebody in a meeting. If you talk a lot of times to somebody who's using, uh, you know, uh, one of the support groups, whether it's Celebrate Recovery or one of the other 12-step groups uh, like AA or NA and say, do you need medication? Do you need anything else? If it's working for them, a lot of times they're going to say, no, this is all you got to do. Go to meetings, see your sponsor, work the steps. Just like for the 7% of that people in that study, they would tell you all you have to do is go to support groups and talk to your lifestyle coach. And that's all you're going to need to do. And you're going to be able to nip this thing in the bud. The problem is that between the people that stopped on their own and the people that support groups work for, um, only that's only 10%. What about the other 90% of the people? that went on to have to take medication in order to manage their type 2 diabetes. We can't ignore those people. And that's one of the things we do whenever we use this uh, anecdotal information that says, you know what, because it worked for me and the people I know, this is going to work for everybody, and we try to fit everybody inside of our box. You know, I always say this. I believe there's multiple pathways to recovery. My pathway was Jesus. I don't tell everybody, all you got to do is pray, and you're going to get sober, and you won't have any more problems. You know, I mean, once I, 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 once I uh, got, once I had my foxhole prayer, we'll put it that way, um, that was January 31st of 2009. I haven't used since I accepted Christ into my life, but I don't think that everybody just by accepting Christ in their life is going to be able to stop using. No more than I think everybody just has to go to celebrate recovery or AA and everybody's going to stop using. For the people it works for, it's amazing, but there's some people it doesn't work for. You know, we have this habit, though, of blaming, you know, they call it victim blaming, right? We blame the person. Uh, I've seen treatment be really good at doing that, too, unfortunately, right? Somebody doesn't make it in treatment, and what do we say? Do we say, you know what, maybe we missed something, or do we say, you know what, I guess they didn't want it bad enough? Trust me, I went to multiple treatments. I have seen people go to multiple treatments, come out of treatment, put a needle in their arm the day after they got out of treatment, crying while they're shooting up. They didn't want to, but yet they couldn't not. And that's one of those things we have to acknowledge is that there's going to be people out there and we've got to figure out how to better reach them instead of blaming their, their lack of doing what we want to do, right? Because ultimately, uh, they may have different goals. It's another reason why I like harm reduction. And here we're not even talking about harm reduction. We are talking about somebody with a disease, right? It's a chronic, progressive uh, brain disease. In fact, we could go beyond that and say that it uh, is a chronic, progressive disease of the brain that has flare-ups that occur. Other people call them recurrences. Some people call them relapses. You know, but... I don't know. It's just, it's really frustrating sometimes to see somebody who has had multiple revivals with Narcan, somebody who's been dead multiple times, who now is three weeks sober, who now is six months sober, who is now two years sober, and they are sober while using medication. And people are like, well, you know, you're not really in recovery because you're taking your medication. That blows my mind. And I understand it because I was an abstinence-only guy. I remember when, I, at the time, I was a, a, 
a therapist uh, working with treatment court. And I remember when the judge said, hey, we're going to have to start letting people who uh, are prescribed medication into our courts. And I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Why would we give somebody a drug to get them off a drug? So I left court that day mad, and I went to uh, one of my mentor's houses. The guy had a few years uh, longer in recovery than I did. And I'm talking to him, and I'm like, man, stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. They, they expect us to give people a drug so that they'll stop taking a drug. Everybody needs to get clean the same way we did. And he said, what do you mean we did, Stoker? And I said, well, everybody just needs to stop using the way we did. And he said, buddy, I've been prescribed methadone from day one. I was like, what? And he said, yeah, I've been prescribed methadone. And I'm like, why don't I know that? And he says, uh, because of that attitude right there. He said, I remember the first time that I went to a meeting and I talked about being on methadone and everybody in the meeting told me I wasn't clean. He said, you know what? I haven't said a word about it since. Uh, at the time, he had, I think I probably had six years back then, um, five or six years, and he had like eight years at the time because he had a couple more years than I did. He was just under the CEO at the company he worked for. He had been married. Uh, he got married about a year after he got sober. He had uh, two kids by this time, and now if you go talk to him, he still is prescribed methadone. Uh, it's been 12 years, 13 years. He's been married now for, let's say it's 12 years. He's been married for 11 years. He's had two kids. Uh, one of them was born when he was two years sober. Uh, so he's got two kids. He's been a t-ball coach. He's uh, coached their peewee football games. And he, uh, he has an amazing life. He's able to pay his bills. But I remember six years ago talking, to, I mean, four years ago talking to him and being like, but dude, when are you going to stop taking your medication? And he said, are you on any medication? And I said, yeah, my doctor has me taking medication because my cholesterol is high. And he said, is your cholesterol still high? And I said, no, my doctor said that the medicine's doing what it needs to do. And I said, okay, I get it, right? Imagine that you have constantly struggled with heroin as a drug of choice. So you are going to places you probably don't need to be risking your life every time you go there, risking your freedom every time you drive back, and then injecting. And because we don't have uh, syringe access in the state of Missouri, uh, here you may be reusing your syringes, risking sepsis and other bloodborne infections, or even sharing syringes with other people, and risking uh, HIV and hep C. So those are your choices, or you can go to a doctor and get medication that will reduce your cravings, that will eliminate withdrawal, and you no longer are risking your freedom. You're no longer risking your life going to places that sometimes, I mean, let's admit it. If you are in recovery or actively using, we all know back in the day, we walked into houses sometimes that we didn't know if we'd leave alive. And we would get out to our car and be like, oh my God, that was fire and run right back into the same house that we didn't know whether or not we were going to get out of alive. We make those choices. I know tons of people who shared syringes. I've never shared syringes. I was always really safe, but I've reused them sometimes five or six times. You know, I mean, I've seen people with cotton fever. I've had friends die from HIV and friends die from uh, chronic hepatitis because of sharing syringes. So 
if somebody is going to utilize medication to live a self-directed life and uh, strive to attain, you know, their full potential, I mean, that's what recovery is. And it doesn't matter. A lot of people like to call it medicated-assisted recovery. I don't believe it's medicated-assisted recovery. It's just recovery, right? Just like, do you have 12-step-assisted recovery or do you have recovery? Do you have Jesus-assisted recovery? Is that what you tell everybody? Hi, my name's David. I have Jesus, and I'm on Jesus-assisted recovery. Hi, my name's uh, David, and I'm on Narcotics Anonymous-assisted recovery. Or do you just say, hi, my name's David, and I'm a person in long-term recovery? That's what I do, even though I'm assisted by a lot of things. I'm assisted by my faith. Um, I have worked through the 12 steps, uh, and I believe the 12 steps did me a lot of good. I think they can do a lot of people good, even people that don't have a substance use disorder. You know, uh, look at all the different 12-step groups that have sprung up for Overeaters Anonymous, uh, Gamblers Anonymous. You know, so it's got a lot of uses. I'm not saying it's not an amazing tool, right? Um so we get to medication. So now we know that people can take medication. I mean, I am on a, what's called a, an OEND uh, training team, which means I get to travel around the state with some people that are way smarter than I am. And we talk about medication. They talk about how to get it started at treatment facilities um, and how to, uh, to support people through it. And then we always have a panel of people who are on medication. And my favorite panel is probably the one we do in Kansas City. Because the one we do in Kansas City, we've got a guy who's running recovery houses now that's killing it. Um, We have a female who is an elementary school teacher who has been prescribed Suboxone for three years. And then we have a guy who's a firefighter, not was a firefighter, a guy who is a firefighter who's been prescribed methadone for over six years. I tell you this, um, I'm out of shape other than round is a shape. So I guess in some ways... I'm in perfect shape because they say circle is a perfect shape because all area is equidistance anyway. So, yeah, I, I couldn't do the job of a firefighter today. And yet here's a guy who is prescribed methadone, and the rest of the firefighters trust him to have their back and to go into fires and pull people out. I mean, if, if you take medication, and that's one of the problems there too when it comes to medication. Like back at the time when I first heard about medication, I thought of the people who were misusing it right? Nodding out in my classes. I wasn't, and and that's why uh, they say squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? When somebody's taking their medication the way they're supposed to, they don't walk up and say, hi, guess what I'm on and tell you all the different medications that they're prescribed by their doctor. Why would they ever have that conversation? Because they just look like everybody else. So there's probably a lot of people you know, a lot of people you're friends with, maybe even family members, that are prescribed medication and for some weird reason um you're going to talk bad about other people on medication and how horrible they are and how they're not really clean and how they're not really in recovery and those people can be sitting in the same room with you that are taking medication that just haven't told you what do you think that does to them i don't know about you i'm here to support people i'm here to show people love I'm here to let people know that recovery is awesome. And in recovery, you know what? I don't want people to judge me for the person I used to be. I want people to build me up and I want to deal hope to you. How can I be a hope dealer if I'm slamming your recovery pathway? I can't. You know, and so that's another big problem is I want everybody to be hope dealers. I want us all to take because everybody's a hope dealer, right? Everybody has been through something and by overcoming that, they can now share that victory with somebody else. 
because there's somebody else out there that's holding on to a rope for dear life, about ready to let go because they're running out of strength. They need to hear your song, your story of recovery. And they, so I want you to be that person. But man, we can't be that compassionate person if we're saying, oh, sorry, you know what? Those people aren't really in recovery. My buddy that I talked about, he chairs meetings in his community and nobody knows that he takes methadone. He's afraid. He told me that years ago, whenever he first told me this four or five years ago, I was like, so why are you telling me? And he's like, you know, because I know you're not going to judge me because of what you do. He said, and because I think you're open-minded. He said, but I can't let my friends know because I'm afraid I'd lose at least half my friends if they knew that I was taking medication. How jacked up is that? That he's afraid to let people in recovery know his pathway because he's afraid that they won't like him. And you know what? I know a lot of the people that he's friends with, and he's probably right about some of them. Some of them are some narrow-minded twits who think that their way is the only way and it's going to work for everybody. You know what? Like I said, I am so grateful if you're in recovery, but don't accept, don't expect everybody to look like you. Don't expect everybody's recovery to look like you. So what I can tell you is that out of all, almost every single study that I have ever seen about Suboxone, uh, every single study that I have ever seen about methadone, and uh, almost every single study I've seen about Vivitrol. If you look at those medications, people on those medications, they tend to live longer. They have a higher life expectancy than somebody with an opioid use disorder who is not given access to those medications. And I say this all the time, dead people never find recovery. So if you truly care about somebody, if you truly want somebody to go on and live that amazing life, how can you reject what's helping them do it? You know, it just, it, it, it blows my mind. I can also tell you this. I can tell you that if you look at uh, some of the studies out there, uh, they found that People that were prescribed Suboxone uh, were more likely to have a home group than people who weren't. They found that those people were more likely to have a sponsor than those who weren't prescribed uh, Suboxone. Uh, They found out that those people were more likely to be attending at least three, if not more, 12-step groups than people who weren't prescribed Suboxone. They were also more likely to uh, have employment. So, man, people are out there killing it, right? And we're going to sit there and shoot them in the... F- shoot them. You know, what do they say a critic is? Uh, one of my favorite definitions ever. Say a critic is somebody who walks out on the battlefield after the war's been fought and shoots the survivors. You know what? Stop shooting our survivors. Right? Stop saying, you know what? Because you found your recovery that way, that's ridiculous. You're not going to keep it. Maybe they will. Oh my God, give them a chance. There's a lot of you that are leaders in your community and people hang on what you say and people believe what you say and what you're saying might be killing people, you know, because we've heard those stories. I mean, I know a couple parents who told me those stories about having a kid that was doing great. Uh, one of them was, te- he was still teenagers, like 19 years old. He had six months and he, his psychiatrist said, you need to go to one of those support meetings and he went to one of those support meetings to pick up his key tag and he picked up a six-month key tag and when it came around to him he talked about how he was killing it he was on suboxone 
And somebody literally said, why did you get a key tag for six months? You don't have any clean time at all. Um, he was dead two days later. You know, I, I mean, we don't realize the impact we can have on people. Tell people you're proud of them. It might not look like yours, but be proud of them. I'm glad other people's recoveries don't look like mine. This would be a really boring place, right? So realize that for some people, man, God is going to be the thing. Allah, they're going to have their, 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 their book, right? Whether it's a Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, you're going to have other people, uh, they're going to say, you know what? I have the life I have today because of AA or NA. That's awesome. And they're going to have their sponsor. They're going to work their 12 steps. You're going to have other people that are going to say, I have the life I have today because of smart recovery, well, briety, uh, because of life ring, because I went to prison. I mean, one of my buddies went to prison for 10 and a half years. And I remember talking to him when he got out and he said, you know, if it wasn't for prison, I would have never met my grandkids. He was like, man, prison was the best thing that happened to me because it took me about eight years in there before I realized. He said, because I was still getting high in there. And it took me about eight years before I realized that, man, I can't keep doing this. My life's got to change because there's people out there that I want to know and get to know. And they don't need to be around me if I'm still living my life that way. Everybody has their own path, right? So whether that path is medication and that medication for some people can be short. You know, it might be a couple weeks, a couple months. For other people, it might be the rest of their life. I've never once heard somebody, had somebody walk up to me and say, well, David, when are you going to... When are you going to stop praying and going to church? You know, don't you think you've done that long enough? I mean, you got your life now. So now you're better. You don't need to do that anymore, right? Or who's the person who walks up to someone and is like, well, I mean, you're still going to 12-step meetings? Really? Ah, I mean, you got 20 years. You don't have it yet? So don't sit there and rail on what somebody else is doing just because it's different. I believe that I'm going to need meetings and support for the rest of my life. I believe I'm going to need, because like I said, multiple pathways, my pathway is Christ. I'm going to need Jesus in my life for the rest of my life. I believe my family is really important to my recovery. <clears throat> you know, but I mean, honestly, how many of us are still doing drugs saying we're in recovery? As I sit here and drink my Coke Zero, which a lot of times is a bang, and I like bang, it replaced Monster because, well, let's face it, it's got almost twice as much caffeine as a Monster. You know, Bang's got 300 milligrams of caffeine, and I love caffeine, which is a drug. How many of us are vaping or smoking cigarettes and getting tobacco, and yet we're sitting there going, well, you shouldn't do a drug. A drug is a drug. Well, tobacco's a drug. Nicotine's a drug. Not tobacco. Nicotine's a drug. Uh, caffeine's a drug. Sugar's a drug. Sugar's seven times more addictive, and I know there's always people that are like, well, you know. Um, sure, cigarettes and uh, cigarettes are a drug, but you don't see me out there doing the same things that I did uh, for drugs, for cigarettes. And I'm like, no, but you know what? I'm worried about your life. I want you to be around to share your hope, strength, and experience with other people. And I guarantee you, if you look at statistics for people who are dying right now, compare Suboxone, Methadone, and Vivitrol to lung cancer. You know, to the effects of smoking. Smoking kills more people than all other drugs combined, right? And yet we're still doing it. Look at sugar with the obesity rates right now. I mean, those are drugs too, but you know what? We still imbibe. It's like we pick and choose which is the right drug. Okay, if somebody is going to a doctor and getting a prescription and taking something as prescribed, 
and living a good life and working a full-time job and being a good parent, then God bless you. Man, you're amazing. You blow me away. And people should be coming up and telling you that you were killing it every single day. And if they're not, I want to tell you, there it is, you're killing it. You're being amazing. I am so proud of you. I love you for what you're doing. Please keep doing it. If you're going to meetings and that's how you're keeping your recovery, you know what? Keep talking to your sponsor. Keep working your steps. Keep going to meetings. I'm so proud of you. You're killing it. You're doing an amazing job. Right? Whatever your pathway is, thank you for finding it. Now go out and let other people know how great it is for you. Let other people know, hey, this can help you. But don't be afraid to talk about the other pathways out there too. Don't expect everybody to have to take the same pathway as you. In closing, I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please join us every week for new episodes. If you want to connect with us further, if you have any questions, topics you'd like to hear in the future, or maybe you would like to be on the podcast sometime, you can connect with us at betterlifeandrecovery.com. Uh, there's a Better Life and Recovery page on Facebook, or you can, uh, we're on Twitter, uh, B-L-I-R underscore N-P-O. Also, this podcast is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about the network at studiodna.media. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great week.